Well, good morning. Welcome to church. It's good to see you today. Y'all looking good. Y'all got your Sunday finest on and here to just praise the Lord and worship and be together. And I'm just really glad you're here. You make my day. Seems like I just something I need to say. Is there? Hey, yeah, there is. Did anybody read your or bring your Bibles to church today? Wow, all right. You did a little better than the first service, but not much better. We got a long ways to go, right? We're going to bring our Bibles to church, and we're going to read Nehemiah. How many of you read Nehemiah? Woo, man. Here's what I was thinking about. When you read Nehemiah, and God shows you something in that, would you just email Gay and I, Buddy at Salem Fields, Gay at Salem Fields, and just let us know what God is showing you as you read through Nehemiah. I think it'd just be kind of interesting because we're kind of sharing with you, not kind of, we are sharing with you what God is showing us as we read through the book of Nehemiah. That's your homework, okay? And some of you are failing miserably. You missed two hours. How many of you prayed this week and said, God, how do you want to use me? To, well, all right, praise the Lord. We'll just give you, we'll, we'll grade on a curve. <laughs> so if you did one of the three, you passed. Okay, today we are going to continue our series, Rebuild. Last week, we uh, did a little quiz. Everybody remember the quiz that y'all failed miserably? I'm going to bring up, we're going to have a, just a kind of review of that quiz, okay? Anybody tell me who the greatest babysitter in the Bible was? David, why? He rocked Goliath to sleep. And that's what I plan to do today as I speak to you, is rock you to sleep. <laughs> it's hot in here, isn't it? Nehemiah chapter 1. And two, uh, we discovered that when you make the decision to give yourself fully to God, as Nehemiah did, then God will plant a, a seed in you that will grow into a holy discontent. In other words, it, it is an issue that will wreck your life. It, it will break your heart until you just know that you know that you got to be a part of it, that you can't live without being a part of it, and it, because it, become, it then becomes your life purpose, and you begin to live on purpose. For Nehemiah, it was to build, uh, rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and rebuild the reputation of God's people. For Gay and I, our, our hearts break for people who don't know Jesus or have walked away from the church for various reasons. So that's a little catch-up. And then... Uh, uh, we want, I want to, we're going to skip over chapter 3, but I just want to kind of give you some highlights of chapter 3. We learn first that the people were, uh, were willing to follow Nehemiah, the leader. Now, here's Nehemiah, rolls into town. Uh, he's 600 miles away, rolls into town, says, hey, we're going to rebuild the wall. The people said, okay, we're with you. Secondly, everyone got involved. It, if you, to rebuild the wall, it took everyone, and everyone got involved, and they immediately started rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah says, we're going to rebuild the wall. Everybody got involved, and they started immediately rebuilding the wall. So Nehemiah, in his wisdom uh, he gave, uh, that God gave him, set each person to work, building whatever part of the wall that was closest uh, to their own houses. So they were personally involved in the work. And, and, you know, for us at Salem Fields, we focus on the communities that are closest to us, six miles surrounding Salem Fields. There's 60,000 people that don't go to church anywhere within 60 uh, or six miles of this place. 
Then the rest of the chapter describes how they went, uh, they went about rebuilding. And over the next couple of weeks and, and year and years so, we're going to talk about uh, each month ways that we are going to uh, be rebuilding uh, other than what we uh, are going to focus on. But the rest of the chapter describes how they went about rebuilding the wall, and we're going to talk about that with you more. But in the story of Nehemiah, uh, it, it's centered on the ten gates of the city of Jerusalem. You see, the Bible says that the walls were broken down and the gates had been burned and destroyed. And, and, and the people who would be assigned a certain portion of the wall defined by the gates that gave access to the city. You know, each, each gate has significance, and you can study the significance of each gate. We could get into that, but I don't have the time. But Gay and I believe that our, our vision to reach people and our vision to rebuild Salem Fields is to be centered at this time around uh, our students in our church and, and the students and young people in our community. It's to be centered around the infrastructure of this building. I mean, when you think about it, there's a high school on every block, every corner, every community. There's a middle school. There are students everywhere. In this building alone, 1,300 people used this building last year. It's a tool for ministry, and this place that we're worshiping in was built in 99, and the infrastructure is shot in a lot of ways. And God gifted us with a church in Smithville, Virginia, to somehow reach that community for Christ so that we can continue to reach people here in Smithfield and around the world. But today we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 4 briefly, and we're going to specifically look at verse 10. This is that verse. Here's how I kind of read the Bible. I don't know how you read it, but I kind of read the Bible this way. I'm reading along, reading along, reading along, and something goes, oh. And so God's either saying something to me that I need to think about, or he's saying something to me that, that he wants me uh, uh, to talk about, but I pause at that point, and verse 10, it was kind of, oh, those moments, and so we're going to focus on that. Um, if you forgot your Bible today, you can follow along on Salem Fields app. All you have to do is go on your app, push on the Bible, and it's preset for Nehemiah chapter 4. Now, isn't that something? I got to tell you, we've made ourselves lazy believers, have we? But we're trying to get, so how many of you have a Bible at home? You didn't bring it, but you have one. That's pretty good. How about blowing the dust off that baby and bringing it to church next week? We're not talking about the electronic kind. We're, we're talking about the kind that you got to actually look it up and learn the books of the Bible. So you just take that old electronic thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding with you. Uh, so you can do that or you can look on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, you can go out to the welcome place there, the welcome center, and they'll give you a Bible so you can bring it next week and raise it up. But anyway, uh, we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, or chapter 4, 1 through 10, okay? I've got to put my glasses on for that. I, I, lost, uh, I lost my reading vision very young. Most people don't lose it until they're a lot older, but I lost mine young. Uh, anyway, when Sambalot heard that uh, we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Now, I don't think it was so much that he was angry about them rebuilding the wall. He was angry because he wasn't the governor of Jerusalem. And he was ticked because he realized that, uh, that, he, that uh, Nehemiah had taken that position. He ridiculed the Jews 
And in the presence of his associates and the army of the uh, Samaria, uh, Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? You notice how when people want to talk bad about you, they get a group of people around and talk bad about people. We don't usually do that by ourselves. We usually do that with other people because we want other people to side with us and say that we're right. Oh, I feel sorry for you. And that's what he was doing. He was pulling those people around. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Started ridiculing them. Will they restore their wall? You see, will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring this? This is a great verse. Can they bring the stones back to life? Can they do anything again in that city? Can they bring it back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, uh, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down the wall, their wall of stone. And then what's Nehemiah do? He prays. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. He says, turn their insults back on their heads. In other words, what they're doing to us, just turn it back on them. Give them, and that'd be a good way to pray. Lord, if they want to be that way, just do it back to them. Give them over to uh, Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults into the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the walls till it all reached half its height, where the people worked with all their heart. I mean, they, they worked with all their heart. They gave it everything they had. Nehemiah said, we're going to rebuild this wall. The people said, we're in, and they worked, and they did it with all their heart, but when Samalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, that their gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together. Isn't that what we do? They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But what did Nehemiah do? He prayed. And I'm asking you to pray, because i got to tell you, there will be opposition to what God wants to do at Salem Fields Community Church. There will be opposition, because anytime you take ground from the enemy, I can very guarantee you the adversary is going to be on your hind end. And so we need to pray, and, and I'm asking you to join Gay and I in praying. But we prayed, Nehemiah said, we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Now, here's the verse Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, now I want us to read this together. This is our key verse today. Here it is. You'll read it with me. The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. You know, y'all, just like every other service, we've got to read it twice to get everybody to do it. You ready? The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Now, I want to put that in context for the message today. The laborers were tired. They were worn out from the hard work of carrying the heavy loads of stone and timber. These were the laborers. These are the people that did the real work, the grunt work. They were carrying these heavy stones and these heavy timbers to the builders, and the builders were putting it in place and building a wall. Now, if you've ever been on a construction site, I try to stay away from them because that's real work. But at a construction site, uh, sometimes there's a lot of rubble, a lot of uh, old building materials, things that just throw it down on the ground. Uh, you know, when they built this building, they, it was the cleanest construction site I've ever seen. But if you go to a, a foreign mission field a lot of times and you help rebuild something there or build something, you know, cleanup's not the most important thing. There's a lot of rubble. 
And if you're on a construction site and you're carrying a lot of uh, weight on your shoulders, or you're carrying uh, big stones and heavy timbers, and you've got to make your way through rubble, it makes the job that much more difficult. And that's what they were facing. God had called them to build a new foundation, to build an a, a inside outside wall, a new foundation, but they were struggling because of the rubble. It was hard to walk around the rubble because they were carrying this heavy load. They were physically tired, and they were emotionally tired from the threats of the enemy. And I can tell you, sometimes to be emotionally tired is worse than being physically tired. And I believe not only were they physically tired, they were emotionally worn out from all the insults and all the criticism and all the backbiting and all the stuff that was going on. They were scared to death and emotionally tired from the threats of the enemy. And the rubble was hindering the rebuilding of the wall. So the rubble needed to be removed. But the builders, they were so tired and so weak, and they were fearful that they would not finish rebuilding the wall because the, before the enemy came to attack them. Now, Nehemiah is the account of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But I believe, I believe it, the story is far more than just a wall. It's far more than just a wall. I believe this story has far more to do with us than it does with a wall or a church building or youth resources. You see, Jerusalem was and is the symbol of God. I mean, it was the symbol of God. When you thought of Jerusalem, you thought that's God's house. That's where God reigns. That's the city of God. It, God's dwelling place, and it was the center of life for the world. Fast forward to Jesus' time. And where did Jesus say the temple was? Where's the city of God in the New Testament? You see, the, today's dwelling place is in the heart of humankind. It's in the heart of our lives. Those of us who have say that we're believers in Jesus Christ, we are the temple, we are the church, we are the center of God. No longer is it a city. You see, we're, we are the church and I'm not talking about a building. You see, you and I are the church. And where we go, there is the center of God. There is the city of God. Wherever you are and wherever you are and wherever you are is the center of God. Wherever I'm at, God is right there. You know, people say all the time, well, don't run through the building. That's the house of God. No, this is a building where the church meets, where you and I come together. And, and so... You see, today, you and I are the symbol of the city of God in Fredericksburg. But we got a problem. I mean, Nehemiah says, we got a problem here. We're defenseless. The walls are broken down. And, and folks, I'm here to say, as one of the spiritual leaders in your lives, that we have a problem. And I think for many of us here today, our walls are broken down. Our lives are broken down because our lives are so scattered and so filled with rubble that we have become weak and the enemy can attack us and destroy us and we have to rebuild our lives to be the church, the center of God, the city of God in this community and in, in Smithfield and around the world that God has called us to be. You see, therefore, rebuilding of the walls would be a picture of the rebuilding of the spiritual strength and foundation of our lives so God can build something new in each of us. 
Furthermore, he can't rebuild anything in our lives or in our families or, or in our community or in this building until we rebuild some things in our lives. And in order to do that, we have got to get the rubble out of our lives. And Gay's going to talk to us about some of the rubble. You know, we're studying Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And we say, well, how is that relevant to us? It is completely relevant because the story continues from there to us, as Buddy said, there's a connector between the city of God that was Jerusalem and now in us, we are the church. And God needs to rebuild us. And what that means is we've got to contend with the rubble that's there. You know, when we carry around rubble, it wears us out. It gets us tired. And as Buddy said, it opens us up and we don't have that protective covering. When the enemy attacks, we're extremely vulnerable. And so what that means is we have to contend with the rubble. We have to pay attention that there's some trash in our life. There's some stuff that needs to be burned up so that the other can stay and form a firm foundation. And so what that means is we need to get real honest. And if we're honest... God can really do some amazing things among us. There's a scripture in Hebrews that says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with perseverance, never give up, the race marked out for us. Think about that. There's a race marked out for you and for me and for us Collectively, I have never seen a runner at the, at the starting line with cinder blocks around his legs and hoping to win that race. And yet the rubble in our lives is that. It's things that hold us back. And until we contend with that rubble and we do something with that, it's going to hold us back from God's best. So we're going to get real honest here. And I'm going to throw out some things that are rubble in our life. And I can promise you, if you will tune into the Holy Spirit, that he'll speak to you. And it will be, it, it will be uh, specialized just for you. The first thing is simply sin. Sin is something that we do or we hold on to that we know is wrong. Now, I'm not talking about the mistakes you make. You're working on something in your life and, oh, man, you did it again. I'm not talking about that. We're not confined to, have, to sinning every day. We make mistakes. But sin is what you know is wrong, and you continue to do it. We have to contend with that rubble because it, it's a cinder block. It'll hold you back. And I don't have to tell you what it is. Nobody else has to tell you what it is. Nobody has to tell me what it is in my life. You know what it is. Sin is, a, is, is rubble. The second one is one that I think we are plagued with in our culture today. There are all kinds of labels for it, but the reality of it is it's just simply distractions. We're distracted people, aren't we? And we've got all kinds of toys and all kinds of things in our lives to distract us. Now, sometimes the rubble is not necessarily sinful in and of itself. Distractions are, are kind of like that. What, what distractions are is they serve to pull our focus away from where it belongs to something else. The people in Nehemiah's time, they were distracted. They got tired. They got distracted on the fear. They got distracted on the enemy. They got their eyes on things that really didn't matter. Uh, there was a uh, professor 
and uh, he told his students to come in. There was a blank piece of paper laying on the desk, and he said, when you come in, I just want you to turn it over, and uh, there it was, and he said, I want you to write about what you see. And so everybody started writing what they saw, and every single student except one began to describe that black dot. And they said, well, the black dot's in the center of the page, and it's, some of them measured it, and others said, uh, told about what probably made that black dot. There was only one person that wrote about all the white. And that's exactly what happens in our lives. Because you've got a physical problem going on, or you've got a relational problem going on, or you're going through the middle of a divorce, or there's a child, and that thing has the power to distract you onto it. And we live that, and it becomes the center of our universe instead of understanding that there's a whole lot of other stuff there that we can focus on, and that's God in our life. We're so easily distracted. And it's with things that really aren't necessarily bad things. There's Facebook, there's sports, hobbies, movies, music, there are video games, there are friends, there's our work. Those things are not sinful in and of themselves, but they seduce us, don't they? Those things seduce us of our time. And we find ourselves spending so much time and, and giving so much focus to those things that we miss out on where our focus really needs to be. And I can tell you, it's rubble. It'll hold us back unless we intentionally say, you know, you can learn. Even in a worship service like this, it's amazing. See, you'll see Bobby walking down over there and he has a, a drink. He got, isn't that sweet? His, he got his wife a drink. Is that sweet? But yeah, that's good. And then there's Jim that really wishes he could be that way. And then, and then, you know, you might hear baby over here cry or Tim's back there and he's saying, well, that microphone doesn't sound quite right. You get me? There are so many things to distract us from what God wants to say to us. And nobody can contend with those things but you. Every single one of us have to reclaim that power and say, I will not allow my focus to be taken off of the things that really matter in my life. Because if I do, that's rubble, and it's going to hold me back from God's best. And I'm not going to let anyone or anything hold me back from God's best. Distractions. Some more rubble in our life are addictions. We have addictions. And addiction is anything that you can't live without. What is that in your life? You know, we're really quick to label the alcoholic or the drug abuser or the porn addict. But in reality, the truth is there are all kinds of addictions that can be rubble in our lives. The morning news. Coffee. I said last service, I, three cups a day is not too bad, right? <laughs> Tell me it's okay. Tell me I'm all right with that. I don't have a problem, right? Okay, I don't have to admit anything. Three cups a day. I've heard it's healthy for you. <laughs> you can justify almost anything. Coca-Cola. I call out uh, Howard every time. And he said, don't say Coke. It's Coca-Cola <laughs> that, that he has a problem with. Um, our TV time. Our, my iPad. It gets a lot of my attention. I wonder if Buddy's jealous of my iPad. I don't know. Uh, 
you see what I'm saying? So our smartphone, shopping. We don't have to go to the store anymore. We don't have to even get in our car. We can do it right online. Um, mine, lazy eating. I've gotten so lazy, haven't been walking. I haven't been taking care of this temple like I did in the past or like I know I need to. Well, that's more rubble. More rubble, unbridled tongue. You know, in the Bible, James says that he describes the tongue as a fire, a restless evil that can corrupt the whole body and the whole body. Uh, the rubble can roll off of our tongues. The Bible says that profanity, gossip, talking about other people behind their back and not dealing with whatever that is directly, saying mean things. You know, we just say, you know, I go uh, to places and I hear a parent with a little child and, and hear them speak harshly and I just see that little child's spirit crushed and I think, oh, you know, but there are things that can roll. We're not even aware of it. You know, we judge murderers, but in reality, the tongue has the power to destroy. It can assassinate another person's character. It can crush the spirit of the more vulnerable. It can be rubble, and it really can destroy us. I just, I, I, I imagine the people in Nehemiah's time when they were tired and they had enemies and they didn't like what the leaders were doing and they started getting together and they started, and I can just imagine how that wore them down and they carried the rubble. More rubble is unhealed, unattended wounds in our heart. You know, maybe you struggle with trusting other people because you've been burned so many times, but passion comes from the heart, and God wants to use the passion in our heart, but when we avoid healing those wounds that have happened in our heart, it steals our passion, and it shuts down our ability to experience God's love, and it'll cut other people out, and the very passion that he wants us to use for him gets destroyed if we're not willing to take a look at those deep wounds in our own heart, which goes along with some more rubble, our past. I can tell you this, I can tell you this. You can take it or leave it, but I found it to be true. Unresolved issues from your past, the hurt and the pain, will remain alive in your life until you deal with them properly. They just will. Do you need to forgive yourself, maybe? Do you judge yourself or other people so harshly that you've begun to think forgiveness doesn't even work? It doesn't even work. God cannot rebuild us if we're condemning ourselves or we're condemning other people. He just simply can't. Past mistakes and sins are not the problem. Refusing to clean up the rubble is. Well, there's all kinds of rubble that we could find that needs to be cleaned up and burned away. And the last one that I'll share with you is fear. Fear can be rubble. Now, fear is natural, and there is some healthy fear. We want to teach our children not to walk out in front of those great big giant pieces of metal, right? We want a little bit of fear. Fear can be healthy. But we live in a culture where fear and anxiety have, have, are the driving force 
the driving factor in our lives. And I can tell you depression and anxiety are the most highly treatable problems that we can have in our life. 80% of people who seek help will get help with depression and anxiety. The problem is we're, we're not choosing to get that kind of help. And people are going down a slippery slope and losing complete hope when hope is available. And people are fearful. And what happens with fear is that we get stuck and we get paralyzed, and then we retreat with our rubble, and we hang on to our rubble and our fear, and we hope that we'll be okay, and we won't, because we have a choice. It, fear has the power to hold us from going back deeper with God. You know, a lot of us fear what other people might think. You know, we're standing in a crowd of people, and someone's talking about someone else, and if we choose to say, mm, I don't want to be part of that conversation, they're not going to like you. But in that moment, you've got to decide, am I going to be a God pleaser? Am I going to be a people pleaser? And there's a cost to that. But we fear what other people think. Sometimes we fear the unknown. That's why we don't want to step out in faith. Because when you step out in faith, you're stepping out into the unknown and you're trusting that God will be with you there, but instead we stay paralyzed because we're afraid and all we have is our fear and we retreat and God can't rebuild us if we do that. Sometimes we fear loss. The people in our story in Nehemiah, they were tired and worn out because we get tired, you'll get tired carrying that rubble. You will. You'll wear out, and then you'll become vulnerable, and then the enemy will attack you, and you'll say, I don't, I don't know how that happened. Well, it's because the protective covering that God wants to have in your life, we allowed it to break down. And so how are we connected to Nehemiah? They were rebuilding the protective covering of God. And in us today, we have to rebuild that protective covering that God wants to have for us. And we make choices that will either lead us away and out from under that protection, or we make choices that will allow God to give us that protective covering. And when we get tired, uh, just like those people, we, we fear the enemy, we fear the darkness and the, and the threats of the opposition and, and our enemies, and, and they began to get their eyes on the rubble of fear instead of the power that they had to overcome. And that's what happens. Yet they knew that wall needed to be rebuilt. Yet you know that protective wall needs to be rebuilt in your life. So they couldn't let the work come to an end. It was time, as the scripture said, it was time to turn the enemy's insults back on their head. We do not need to fear the darkness. We have a power that lives within us that is greater than the darkness. Let the darkness fear us. It was time. So how is this relevant to us? Every single one of us get to make a choice. Do we retreat accompanied by my fear? Because we never stay at the same place. We're either going forward or we're, we are retreating. Or do we forge ahead with God in spite of our fear? We don't wait for our fear to go away. We forge ahead with God in spite of our fear, we get to choose. God wants to burn away the rubble in our lives. He, he wants to burn away the stuff that doesn't belong there. 
He wants to do something new in us, in our families, in our church, in our community, in Smithfield, Virginia, and around the world. You know, in Yellowstone Park, I remember going in there and seeing the forest burned away. And I thought, how sad, I can't believe this, until I learned that they set the fire because they knew that that had to be burned away for new growth to come up. So how can I and God together in this partnership that we have in relationship together rebuild my life? Well, it's really pretty simple, but it's kind of difficult to incorporate into your life. First of all, we have to identify the rubble. Nobody has to tell me what mine is. I don't have to tell you what yours is. Probably as you've sat through this message, if you're honest, you began to identify, because we all have it. Every single one of them. If God wants us to go deeper with him, we're going to have to allow him to burn the rubble. So we all have it. I have it. Buddy has it. Our board has it. The staff has it. We all have it. And we have to identify that. As much as you may not want to admit it, if you're honest, there it is. Far too often we distract ourselves so that we don't have to see what that is. Instead... Instead of distracting, stick with it, confess it. Whatever that is, confess it. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. Now, here's what confession means. It means to speak the same. In other words, it means to call it like God sees it. Confession will accept personal responsibility. I had some people in my uh, office this week that were kind of on the outs with each other, and they were all willing to come together. And the first thing that we did was I went around and I said, could you tell me what your part was to get where you are today? And they began to do that. And the whole temperature of the room changed because they began to say, here's what I did. And that takes guts This is what I've done wrong. To acknowledge what God already knows. God also requires that we not only confess it, but he says, turn away from it. If I'm a person that tends to talk about people, you know, it's not going to change overnight. But if I'm a person that tends to do that, I need to make a commitment. I'm not going to do that. And then take every opportunity from that point on to practice that. And the Bible says, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Do you see that? And here's what it says, that times of refreshing. Is that awesome? Times of refreshing may come from the Lord if we're gutsy enough to identify it and to confess it and to commit to turn away from it. This is when God can begin to make something new happen in our lives. I want that. I don't know about you, but as long as I've been walking this journey, there's always something, something new that God has for my life. Repentance means that we turn our backs on the rubble and toward God. And when we confess and we ask forgiveness, God in his grace makes us new. He forgives. But then we have to surrender fully to God. Now, when we choose to be a God-pleaser, and not a people pleaser. He will fill us. When we surrender fully to God, he fills us with his spirit. 
The Bible says in Romans 1, Romans 12, it says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service. Don't conform to the standards of this world, but let God transform you. You see, if you try to change something in your life with simple willpower, you'll quit. Trying to do that, trying to quit something without God's power is like trying to run a, a, a car without gasoline. You know, you might have a beautiful car and say, wow, that looks good, that's really good, but there's no gas in the tank. You can't get anywhere. It can't be usefully used for what it was created to do. We are exactly the same way until we are willing to fully surrender our lives to God. We won't have the power within us to do exactly what he designed us to do. That's our step. See, in this whole, if you read, I'm, I'm reading the Old Testament, and I'm reading through the Bible this year, and, and in the Old Testament, it says, it, it, it always says, and even in the New Testament with Jesus, it'll say, if you do this, then I will do this. It's a partnership. We have a, we have a part, and our part is to identify the rubble, confess it, turn away from it, and then surrender completely so that we can be filled with his spirit that'll give us power and guidance. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Try living it. Try living it. I've discovered that for Nehemiah, it was more than just a wall. It was more than just a wall. For him, it was rebuilding God's reputation in the land. You see, it, it was rebuilding community among God's people. It was, it was bringing the people of God together in community. It was rebuilding the reputation of God. And I think, it, I think it had to do with restoring the self-worth of the people of God. You know, they had a pretty low opinion of themselves, I would think. You see, they were in exile in Persia, and they had been wronged and hated and talked about. And for the Jewish people, their self-worth, lack of, had become rubble in their lives. And I believe Nehemiah, more than rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah had in purpose for God to do something new in their lives. God has called Salem Fields to rebuild our student ministry and the infrastructure of this building and a church in Smithfield, Virginia. And we're asking you to pray about making a financial gift in the next couple weeks. But I got to tell you, and I hope you trust us in this, it's much, much, much more than a wall. It's much more. You see, it's about you. It's about you. It's about your children. It's about, it's about your family. It's about the young people that are over in that room right now. That bass kicking. It's about them, but it's more about those young people out in our community and others who don't know Jesus. You see, are those who have left the church because of our rubble. And I believe many, many people have given up on the church because of the rubble in our lives. You see, we believe God wants to do something new in us.
We believe God wants to do something new in all of us. Gay and I believe God wants to do something new in us so he can do something new in our church like he did 20 years ago. 20 years, God did something new. You know, 20 years, God called us to go forward by faith and spiritual growth. God was saying to us 20 years ago, buddy, if you and Gay are going to lead that church, you're going to have to grow spiritually. See, it was about us. It wasn't about the building. It wasn't about this building. This building got built out of that vision. But it was about our spiritual growth because God knew we needed to lead people to grow spiritually. That was 20 years ago. And God did something new, something that... God did something in this church that had never been done in this community. Ever. And we had the opposition. Woo. But I got to tell you, thousands of people have been touched with the gospel because God did something new in us. God did something new in some people that are here. And we reached thousands of people. There are 10,000, almost 11,000 people that on the census in 2010 said Salem Fields Community Church was their church. Because God did something new. God wants to do something new now. Because what we did 20 years ago is not what God's doing today. It's not what God's doing today. We keep on doing church the way we've always done church and be the like we've always been, then we'll get the same old thing. God wants to do something new. But he's got to get the rubble out of my life. He's got to get the rubble out of our lives. He's got to get the rubble out of your lives and those that are online. God's got to get the rubble out of our lives. We've got to confess that. You see on the video we watched earlier, I, I said I wanted to rebuild the awe of God in my life. Before I, but before I could do that, I had to identify what was keeping me, the rubble in my life that was not allowing me to experience the awe of God, his presence, the wonder of God. You know that wonder of God that you have when you first give your life to Christ and you're like, wow, I'd lost that wonder. And we were at our staff retreat and we were doing worship and Christian was leading us in worship, and, and, was, and he was talking about, let's take this song and just adore God. And I realized during that song that that was missing in my life. That was almost like it had become my job. And so I had to identify what it is, and, and the rubble in my life is distractions. It's distractions. Man, I get distracted. I mean, Gay says it's not ADD or whatever, IDD or whatever. <laughs> but I can get distracted. <laughs> I didn't want that to be. <laughs> and so I just identify what that was, social media. Gosh, I can get hung up on Facebook looking at what you had for dinner. <laughs> What do I care what you had for dinner or who you're mad at or what your kids did wrong? And I made a commitment during Project Worship to give up social media, not to be so obsessed with it. And it's such a hurry in the mornings. You know, I get up every morning, I pray, I read my Bible, and I go to the bathroom, I do all that one time, almost. <laughs> 
and I hurry on out the door. How am I ever going to discover the awe and the wonder of God if I just hurry through that? And so I have to get some of that rubble out of my life because it's robbed me of my quality time with God that is necessary to enjoy and bask in his wonder. So, so I had to confess, God, I'm sorry. And I had to repent and I had to make some changes. And I had to surrender once again to that Holy Spirit, small, still voice that says, buddy, you got to give up some things in your life if you want to discover the awe and wonder of God in your life again. And he's setting me free. And I'm beginning to see God in a whole new light. What is it in your life? What's the rubble in your life? You've identified it. You already know. So what we're going to ask you to do today in your program, you got a little slip of paper, just like that. If you didn't get one, there's two in each one because we wanted to give your neighbor one if you didn't have one. And hopefully there's pens. If you don't have a pen, you need a pen, raise your hand or something. But there's pens. I hope there's enough pens. Share them. Well, here's what we want you to do. We want you to identify it. You've done that. And now, in just a moment, Jody and, and Gay are going to lead us in a song and worship. I want you to confess, God, here's what my life, here's what's in my life, the rubble of my life. And after you write that on and during this song and this time of reflection, you're going to make a commitment to God that you're going to repent and you're going to turn around, you're going to go in a different direction and you're asking the Holy Spirit, you're surrendering to the Holy Spirit by getting up out of your chair after you've written that on there, walking up here, roll this up. Don't roll it up real small, okay? Just roll it one time like that. And once you've confessed and once you've written that there and you've confessed and you wanna, you're making commitment to repent and you're saying to God, I surrender to your Holy Spirit in my life, once you bring it up here, there's three holes in each brick. When you roll it up, it goes easier than that. Just stick it in that hole. And say, God, there it is. I've given up the rubble. You see, if God's going to do something new, it's going to be because of you and I. It's not going to be about $10 million. It's going to be about you and I surrendering. And this church has always been built on, on our brokenness, but surrendering, confessing and surrendering and repenting and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us. So do we do that as we turn this place over to the Holy Spirit right now? Truth is louder than a lie. The dark seems safe. 